Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, and here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, let's stop right there. You know, many people, in fact, most people that know anything about Christianity or the New Testament would know who Peter is. The reason is because Peter is, without question, the number one apostle. He was the number one apostle of Jesus. How do we know that? Well, uh, for many reasons, but I would say the most uh, prominent reason is because in passages like Matthew chapter 10, where it lists all the 12 apostles of Jesus, it says this, first, Peter, it actually uses the word first. It was obvious to all of the other uh, apostles of Jesus, the other 11 I'm talking about, that Peter had a special place in Jesus' heart. And also there was something about him. I don't know if Peter might not have been a little older than uh, all or most of them. Uh, We know that he was married. And we don't see that with uh, many or most of the other apostles. And we do know that he had more conversation with Jesus in the Gospels than any other single apostle. Uh, I will say this, that when it comes to writing scriptures of the 12 apostles, it's the apostle John that ends up writing the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and of course, the book of Revelation. So John, the beloved, is certainly the one who writes more of the New Testament than any of the other 12. Paul, of course, being the one that writes the most, but he wasn't one of the original 12. But I I just want to clear up something before we jump into this about Peter, because Peter gets a bad rap, because Peter did err on occasion. For example, when he began to rebuke Jesus and say, say, you're not going to die, you're not going to go to and be crucified and such. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Well, we take passages like that and we want to make Peter just sound like a flippant, ignorant, big mouth. But let me tell you. A close reading of the scriptures will tell you that is not who this person was because he was more outspoken, because he was in more recorded conversations with Jesus. Well, you also see the error, but you also see and I would say that the Gospels highlight as well as the book of Acts highlights about Peter that he did so many things right that were superior or uh, before Uh, as a forerunner of the rest of the apostles. For example, the night that Jesus was going to be arrested and Jesus uh, was explaining this. And Peter said, uh, and Jesus said, all of you are going to be made to stumble, be scattered and such. And he said, "I, I won't. No, I won't stumble. I'll die with you if I have to. And of course, we jump right to the denial and say, well, he said he would die with him, but he denied him three times. Yeah, but you have to understand in between those two events, Peter pulled out a sword and started swinging when there was a big mob with hundreds of people to come arrest Jesus. He was following through with what he said. This man was real. This man loved Jesus. This man wanted was loyal. He wanted to be loyal. But after Jesus rebuked him and said, put your sword away, those who live by the sword or die by the sword. And Peter got confused. 
And now he's disillusioned. He's he's of course not understanding the whole picture here. But this is a this is a real man of God. He's the only one, by the way, in the boat. Oh, I was going to mention too that when he said, "I, I won't, uh, I won't flee from you. I'll, I'll die with you." The other apostles said, "Yeah, me too, me too." But nobody else pulled out a sword, and of course they shouldn't have, and he shouldn't have. But also in the boat, when Jesus is walking on the water, Peter's the one that says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come on the water. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, you're opening your big mouth again. No, Jesus said, come. And Peter, other than Jesus, Peter is the only person that we know in history and certainly in the Bible that actually walked on water. I mean, his faith, the power of God went into operation at his faith. And we know that's true because when he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus caught him. Jesus said, why did you doubt? In other words, you were doing so well believing and then you started doubting because of the wind. (laughs) See, and so Peter is prominent. Peter was right there with Jesus. He was doing things. He was a forerunner. He was stepping out on things that Jesus wanted him to be able to do in faith. Here's another one. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, you remember Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Well, Jesus was flesh and blood. And he said, you didn't get this from flesh and blood. What he's saying is, you didn't catch that from me. He said, but my father in heaven has revealed it to you. So here's Peter. I mean, he nails who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you got that revelation from the father. And he said, and you're Peter and you're uh, on this rock of revelation of who Jesus is. I'm going to build my church. I give you the keys of the kingdom and such. Of course, that wasn't only to him, it's to all believers who receive the same revelation of who Jesus is, certainly. But nonetheless, Peter was a forerunner. This happened again and again. And Peter was just one of those on the day of Pentecost who steps up and preaches and thousands come. It's Peter. In the book of Acts, there are two primary characters, Paul, of course, and Peter. The first 12 chapters, Peter is clearly the most prominent character of the book of Acts. And starting with chapter 13 through the rest of the book of Acts, of course, Paul. But we have to understand how important this person is. Let me just mention one other thing. After Jesus was raised from the dead and before his ascension, Did you know Peter saw Jesus several times in his resurrected form? But did you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus made a personal visit to Peter? Oh, yes, he did. He visited Peter personally in his resurrected form. And so that's how important Peter is. And of course, John 21, he said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, you know, and the exchange that happened and such. And he said, feed my sheep, uh, tend my lambs and uh, feed my lambs. And so uh, Jesus and Peter had a special relationship. And so we're about to hear now from this number one disciple. Paul had revelation from the spirit and you can never underestimate that. But let's hear now from someone who not only walked with Jesus, but was the closest, the number one apostle 
who walked with Jesus and conversed with him in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, we know that he was one of the original 12. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So notice this. He's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion. We're talking about people that have been dispersed. And so, and he lists Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Today, we would call that Asia Minor. Actually, back then, it was called Asia Minor. Today, we call that Turkey. Okay, so it's a section of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they had been dispersed to these lands, and so Peter is writing to them. And then in verse 2, he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Notice elect. There's a whole doctrine of the elect. I won't take time for it now, but it's absolutely true that there, God already knows who will be saved and who will not be saved. And those who will be saved, there's a doctrine in the Bible, very clear, that says they are called the elect, the elect. However, this is one of the verses among others, including Romans 8, 29. But here it says elect according to the foreknowledge. They're not elect according to being favorites of God. He likes them better. No, they're elect according to foreknowledge. God knows who will and wants to receive him. And so God has, in his foreknowledge, elected them. He has chosen those whom he foreknew. In fact, that's sort of the way it reads in uh, Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And here it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I'm so glad that God saw that I would receive the gospel of Christ and that you would receive the gospel of Christ. And I want to hang on to it with everything I've got. So it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, separation, sanctification of the Spirit, where you're being sanctified, uh, sanitized, if we could say this, sanctified. You're separated from any contamination. You're separated from sin, from perversity and such. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. And it says, for, here's why, for obedience and, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're separated by the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience, to be obedient, not to live a sinful life and just ride on the grace of God. Uh-uh, that's not the biblical teaching. No, thank God we're saved by grace and not by works at all. Having been saved by grace, however, now we need to walk in obedience by that grace. And this goes on to say, for obedience and sprinkling, of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so thank God we know the blood, the sprinkling of the blood. This is having to do with the heavenly tabernacle and such, but it all comes down to this, to wash away sins. And so uh, these people that Peter's writing to, he's saying, you have, have been saved. You're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 
You are sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience, but also for the sprinkling of the blood. Your own sin, yes, but also to bring the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins through the gospel to other people. And then he says, grace and grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace to you and peace be multiplied be multiplied. So however much grace you've received, however much peace you've received, he's declaring, may it be now multiplied to you. All right. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you remember when he says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you remember on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. That Sunday morning, Peter ran to the tomb along with John, but John got there first. But Peter went into the tomb and verified he's gone. He's missing. So when he's talking about the resurrection, talk about being a witness and then having seen him appear several times after his resurrection. Now he's clarifying to us that that event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and is, is an event that still has repercussions today affecting our lives. Blessed be, he says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection. If Jesus had only died on the cross and paid for our sins, we would, we would maybe be able to be forgiven, but not born again. The fact that he was raised from the dead means that we could be raised from the dead, from the deadness of sin to become alive with God. Verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. You can imagine this being about written about 62 or 63 AD, some 32 or 33 years after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Now there are decades of ministry. This man, Peter, who knows how old he is exactly at this time, but there are decades of ministry. And likely, from what we could tell, they had expected Jesus to have come back already. And he's not coming back. It hasn't come back yet. And so notice here that he's talking about... An, an inheritance that we receive, which is incorruptible and undefiled. This sounds to me like Peter's encouraging the recipients of this letter, but also encouraging himself in the process that maybe this is something that he has rehearsed in his own heart and mind, that the inheritance that he was promised, that we were promised, it is incorruptible. It's not decaying. It's not losing value. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. He goes on to say, reserved in heaven for you. Aren't you glad? Thank God. Uh, we're not having any devaluation or expiration date. Oh, no, it is completely secured in heaven, our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse five, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I believe we're here at and very close to the last time when these things are going to be revealed. Verse six, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise of 
honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice this again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He's writing to people who have suffered persecution, uh, who have many of whom have been impoverished. They have experienced tremendous trials, uh, heavier trials than what most anybody in the United States has endured. And so he says that the genuineness of your faith, verse seven, being much more precious than gold refined in a fire, the genuineness of your faith. He said the fact that you are going through all of this and yet you still believe, you still believe these things about the Lord. You still believe in eternal life. You still believe that the judgments are coming and that Jesus is coming back. The inheritance is going to come to you. He said that is more precious than any gold that can be refined in a fire. And he goes on to say, uh, though it is tested, your faith is tested by, by fire, may be found uh, any gold that's, that's uh, in the fire. Notice that it, the gold, be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your faith, just like gold is refined in the fire, your faith is being refined in the fire of trials, and it's going to end up coming to this, praise, honor, and glory. And the glory, the praise, the honor of your faith. Peter is impressed with their faith. Let me show you why. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. See, this is impacting Peter. Peter says, I walked with him. I saw the miracles. I mean, I was able to converse with him, ask him questions and such, but you've never even met him. You've just taken our word for it. You believed us, and yet you're going through all these trials and you still love him. He said, whom having not met you love. This is impressing, impacting Peter, that people would love his Lord, though they've never met him. And of course, we're in that category, aren't we? Though now, he goes on to say, you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul's Peter saying, you've never even seen him, and yet you believe, yet you love him, and you're rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And he said, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He said, this kind of faith that you have, he said, is so much more precious than any kind of wealth here on earth. And the end result is going to be the salvation of your souls. Yes, being born again, eternal life. But the salvation of your soul is your mind, will, emotions, the part of you that didn't get instantly changed when you were born again. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So notice he saying the prophets of old that were uh, foreshadowing and prophesying about Jesus coming and suffering and all that. He said they were looking for this. They were longing for this and they were sensing by the Holy Spirit how long it would be until these things 
came came to pass. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. He said, these Old Testament prophets largely realized that the things they were prophesying were not going to happen in their lifetime, but they were going to happen in the lifetimes of other people. And he said, and and even angels want to look into these things. Angels desire to perceive, to understand this whole gospel and how the new birth works. The salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ works because they don't comprehend it all and they're wanting to understand it because it's something so precious. Let let me give you a, a hint of why angels would be interested in this. They have lived, been created by God. And when they see God the Father give his only son to bring this salvation, they know this is something super special, if I can say it like that. And if Jesus is willing to become a human being, one of the created and give his whole life, they know something is big. Something is up. This is special. So they want to understand what's this all about. Aren't you glad we're the recipients of that? How did we become so blessed? Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Girding up your loins is, you know, back in those days, they wore uh, something different. The men didn't wear pants like we would wear today, but they'd have a longer, it looked more like a robe or a dress. And when you want to take off running, you'd want to gather all of that loose material and pull it all up tight, you know, girding up your loins, pull it all up tight so that when you run, it's not bunching up and you're not almost tripping over it. And so here he doesn't say gird up just your loins, but he said, gird up the loins of your mind. There are a lot of loose thoughts, a lot of loose things in your mind that'll just think uh, about things this way or that way, you know, the winds of doctrine, so to speak. But Peter says, look, gird up the loins of your minds. You need to think precisely. You need to think accurately. You need to think spiritual thoughts. So he said to them, He said, therefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got to keep our thoughts under control because there are a lot of ideas that are inaccurate and we've got to stay on the word of God. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, talking about the lust of the flesh and all the things the flesh like to do and likes to do. Verse uh, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. I want to just point out again that these authors of the New Testament never take the grace of God to mean that now that you're saved by grace, you can continue sinning. It's no big deal because you live in grace. None of these biblical authors take that stance. And here, Peter, the same thing. He said, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear while you're here on the earth. Conduct yourself with the fear of the Lord. Why? If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you'll allow yourself to be tempted and to get off track and you absolutely could lose your salvation. And so he's saying, don't you do that. We need to spend our time here with the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's not afraid of him. So you run away from him. It's it's being afraid to to question him. It's, it's being afraid not to ask him questions, but it's being afraid to overrule him, to take his truth lightly. It's being afraid that you would ever think that you can be as smart as God or smarter than God, overrule him, have a higher way of thinking and such. The fear of the Lord is, oh man, man, you are God. You are creator. You are the all wise one. If you say something is true, even if I don't understand it, it's true. See, that's that awesome respect for creator God. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, you can imagine he saw that blood. Peter saw that blood and he said, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Why is it so precious? Because since the days of Adam, when he sinned, there has been zero human beings with innocent human blood. This is the first human being that actually has innocent blood that can pay for our sins. And of course, it's of the Son of God. <laughs> and so those two things make this precious blood precious. As of a lamb without blemish, without spot. That's the point. Verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or made known in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are not in Peter or in those who tell the story. Uh -uh. Our faith and hope are in God who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. He said this word that was preached to you that caused you to believe so that you could be born again. He said, you were born again of incorruptible seed, not of corruptible. You were born again of something that doesn't decay. It's never out of, out of date or expired. This is the word of God. It lives and abides forever. So he says, you've been born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower fails. Uh, fails away, falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Praise God. He's saying, hey, what we preach to you and the way that you got born again, that's the real deal. That is the living, eternal word of God. That's the seed that's down in you that has grown now up into eternal life within you. Well, let me tell you, 
This man is no slouch spiritually. He knows things, and you can see by his uh, by his writing, by his teaching, that this man's deep. He understands some things, both from his natural experience, but also from his years of learning and growing in the things of God. Well, I'm enjoying this book already. I hope you are, and I look forward to chapter two tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. Jerry Dearman